How are we doing this morning? Amen. We've got a few people that I'd like to pray for before we really get into the message. And uh, some of you may know about Delbert, who just came home from the hospital on Thursday. And um, he's home recovering. Not sure. The doctors don't know quite sure what's causing his problems. But I know the other day he had a loss of oxygen to his legs, and that might be part of it. But we're just praying that it's not uh, related to the cancer pill that he's taking because that's keeping his leukemia at bay. And um, so we just want to lift that up to the, to the Lord here. We're going to pray in just a moment. But also, I wanted to just praise God for the answers to prayer this week. You know, Bill went in for surgery this week. The clot that we've been praying for was gone, cleared, broken up. He was able to get his watchman installed, so praise God, and he's here today. Amen. All glory to our God. And uh, Jody's recovering from surgery as well, and we've got Kimmy right here on the phone, who's also in the hospital right now recovering from her surgery. So a lot of stuff going on. God is faithful, and so we're going to lift up Delbert in prayer right now, and we're going to continue to pray for those that are recovering and healing, and uh, so let's do that now. Father, we thank you so much that you are a mighty God. There is nothing too big that we can't bring to you. You are the master physician. Uh, We know, Lord God, that you are able, and so we continue to lift those up who need you today, those who are struggling in some form or fashion, whether it's a physical issue, whether it's just, uh, just life in general, Lord, we lift them up to you because we can do all things through you who gives us strength. And so, Father, we just ask that you'd answer prayer, that you'd direct our steps, In Jesus' name, amen. And so you guys, some of you might be feeling a little left out after what happened with the ladies yesterday. I'll tell you, when my son and I were wrapping that saran wrap ball, I may have ate a couple of chocolates as I was putting those together. Just saying. That was pretty good. But guys, we're going to do something in the new year that's just for you. And um, it's not going to be like battle buddies or, you know, knife buddies or gun buddies or... What else? What else did we talk about, Will? Tool buddies, something like that. You know, guys like those kinds of things. But we're going to call it, it's Warrior Brothers. And we're going to launch this in the new year. And this will be something that we'll do probably on a Saturday morning in conjunction with Men's Breakfast. But uh, just know there's more coming on that. I'm going to reveal more of that, you guys. I'm going to keep you in suspense on New Year's Eve. We're going to talk about what that's going to look like. But just know, have not forgotten about you guys, okay? We're all warriors in Christ, and we need each other. And we're going to talk about that. So uh, we're now on the home stretch for finishing up our study on the book of Colossians. And we've covered a lot of ground in the last few chapters. And in our text for today, Paul, um, he gives his final instructions on prayer and how to be a good witness. And when we live out the instructions that Paul gave us in the previous chapters, we live a life with a heavenly mindset. We see ourselves from God's perspective and we focus on the transitions from the things that he was talking about when we live here on this earth to what's eternal. So we focus on what's eternal and not what's here in the natural. That's having a heavenly mindset. And this heavenly mindset, it leads us to put to death our sinful habits and to put on these new habits that allow us to live righteously and be holy. A love for the Lord and a love for others replaces our sinful selfishness. And life is no longer about us and our desires and our comforts or our pleasures or even our glory. It's now all about Jesus and his glory. 
this change in focus and purpose in our life, it should have a positive effect on every relationship that we have. And last week we talked about this impact that it should have on the closest relationships, right? Our family and our work, and so those we work with. But there's another relationship that Paul's going to talk to us about today, and that's the one that we should all be concerned with. That's a relationship with those who are unsaved, those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so if our habits and our attitudes reflect who we truly are in Jesus, then we will be genuinely concerned for those who don't know Christ and how we interact with them. Now, I love what Lesson 11 says in our Growing Strong in God's Family uh, Discipleship Curriculum. It talks about how being a witness is not merely some kind of activity. It's a way of life. As Christ followers, we don't do witnessing. We are witnesses. Whether we like it or not, we are witnesses. People see our behavior. They hear our speech. And so the real question is, what kind of witness are we? Today we're going to talk about how to be a good witness. And to do that and to do it well, it all begins with prayer. So let's pray. Father, we invite you here and we pray, Jesus, that you would give us the boldness, the courage to talk about you in all those conversations that we have out there in the world. For Lord, we're not just to hold on to this amazing gift that you've given us. We're to share it with the world around us. And so, Lord, we just ask that you'd open our minds so that we can understand how to do this and how to do it well. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 2 through 6 today. And if you don't have a Bible, we've got plenty of them here on the bookshelf that you're welcome to borrow during service, or you can follow along up on the screen. And so Paul says here, beginning in verse 2, he says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I'm also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now, to live out what Paul teaches here in our text today, we've got to be redeeming the time. All of us only have so much time here on this earth. Our lives are like a vapor, the Bible talks about. And to redeem something there, what that means is is it's to buy it back. It means to make the most of every opportunity that we have. And so the title of today's message is Redeeming the Time. Redeeming the Time. Because our time is short on this earth, we all should have a sense of urgency about accomplishing the purpose for which God intended for us. And to do that, it all begins with prayer. And Paul says this in the first text the first verse of our text today. He says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Other translations would use the words, devote yourselves to. So in other words, continue steadfastly, cling faithfully to, and to remain. So Paul is making the point here that prayer is absolutely essential. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul said we should pray without ceasing. Now, this doesn't mean that you and I pray every minute of the day without ever taking a break. It doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that we should be coming back to prayer again 
and again and again without ever giving up. It means we have an attitude about prayer in everything. It means we are aware that God is with us all the time and we should be surrendered to him. Whenever our thoughts begin to drift towards worry or fear or discouragement or anger or temptation, we should be consciously turning and quickly turning that thought that we've got into prayer. And then we couple that with thanksgiving. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul urges that in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, we are to present our requests to God. So for us as Christ followers, prayer should be like breathing. We don't have to think about how to breathe, do we? It just happens naturally. Without breathing, we're not going to be able to survive. Unfortunately, there are many who hold their spiritual breath for long periods of time because they think that the brief moments that they spend with God are enough for them to survive. But the truth is, every Christ follower must continually be in the presence of God, constantly breathing in his truth to survive and ultimately to thrive. Prayer must be a way of life for us because prayer is our dependence on Christ and it's the platform for seeing his power. Now, Paul qualifies in our text what kind of attitude we should have in prayer. He says that we are to be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. By vigilant, he means for us to be alert, to be awake, to be watchful. And then when we couple this watchfulness with thankfulness here, that means that we're going to be able to express the gratitude for God that all he has done, right? wouldn't take you too long to think in your own life about all the things that God has done for us. That's the kind of attitude that we should have. We acknowledge all of his past mercies in our lives. And so to sum up how Paul is telling us how we ought to pray is this. We need to pray persistently, watchfully, and thankfully. Those are the kinds of prayers that we should consider. Persistently, watchfully, and thankfully. Now what Paul says next in our text for today, this ought to really get our attention. He says this in verses 3 and 4. He says, Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Now, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. And so you would think that when he asks for prayer here, you would think that he'd be asking to be released from prison, right? Wouldn't that be the natural thing that we would ask for? But no, he doesn't ask for his freedom. He asks them to pray for God to open doors of opportunity so that he could share the gospel. In other words, he's praying for exactly what led him to be in prison in the first place. He's praying for more opportunities to share the truth of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul was much more interested in making the most of every opportunity that he had while he was in prison than being focused on getting out of prison. That is redeeming the time. How often do you and I look at our less than ideal circumstances in our lives and we just want to see things changed versus how can God use us right where we're at? Isn't that convicting right there when you think about it? I mean, honestly, how many of us would pray, be praying something like, Lord, if you'll just get me out of this situation, if you'll just fix this situation, if you'll just fix this thing in my health, if you'll just give me this new job, then I'll do this for you. Then I'll be a good witness for you. You see, no. That's not what we're talking about here. We shouldn't have that attitude. We should have the same attitude as Paul. No matter our circumstances, we should be praying and asking God 
to use us right where we're at and to open the doors of opportunity so that we could share his truth. Is that your heart this morning? Are you asking God to open the doors of opportunity? Are you looking for these opportunities? Are you using what he's already given you? Or could it be that you're simply trying to get out of the very opportunities he's already provided you? Notice how specific Paul's prayer request is here. Above any personal pain, above any personal inconvenience or hardship, Paul asks for two things. First, he prays for doors to be opened. In other words, he's asking that there be doors of opportunity that, be, that would be open to him so that he could share the mystery of Christ. Now, we've talked about that word mystery before. Mystery means something that was previously hidden and is now revealed. He wants to be able to make known the truth of Jesus Christ that has been previously hidden to those who haven't heard it before. This is an idea here of an open door. Uh, the idea of an open door here, rather, in this text. This is not foreign. We've seen this all over in the New Testament, if you really look for it. In Acts chapter 14, verse 27, Paul and Barnabas called the whole church of Antioch together. And they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 and 9, that he would be staying a while in Ephesus if the Lord would allow him because there was a wide open door of faith to the Gentiles there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul said that when he went to Troas to preach the gospel, he found that the Lord had opened a door of opportunity for him. And then Jesus said, in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, he said to ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. God is the one who opens the doors of opportunity. Our responsibility, like Paul did over and over again, is to ask God to open those doors of opportunity so that we could share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing that Paul asked for after asking for doors to be opened is that he makes Jesus manifest as he ought to speak. That he makes Jesus manifest as he ought to speak. In other words, he asked that when he shares the good news of Jesus, that it would be clear and that it would be understandable. And this is really important because the good news of Jesus Christ is precious and you and I need to handle it properly. It's not something that we should be flipping about, something we should be casual about, that we should just kind of go halfway about. The gospel is a serious message that reveals that everyone has an eternal destination either eternally separated from God by sin in hell or eternally united with God through forgiveness and salvation in heaven. We cannot compromise the truth of the gospel to try to make it more acceptable. That's what's going on in our world right now. That's why you see so much watered-down Christianity out there. It's because we're trying to make it more palatable. We're trying to snazz it up to reach the culture that's out there. We're trying to be seeker-friendly. How about we just preach it the way God put it in the Bible? Amen. Now, it's also not a club for us to self-righteously bang people over the head with. So we want to make sure that we present the gospel clearly without mis misrepresenting it. Paul's prayer request in our text is not only for the message to be delivered, but also in how he delivers it. 
When we share the good news with others, the fancy word that you hear is evangelism. Okay, you don't have to be intimidated by that word. All that means is you're sharing the good news of Christ with other people. And when we do this, it's not to be done in an effort to prove how smart we are or to prove how superior we are. And nor is it about how many converts that we can make. The truth is, you and I don't make converts. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, all of our attempts that we give are futile. Only the Holy Spirit can open a heart to the truth. Our responsibility is not the outcome of what happens when we share. Our responsibility is to simply share. We're just a messenger. So we need to deliver the message humbly and in a manner that brings glory to God, pleading with those that we're speaking to about their need to be reconciled with God. And at the heart of the gospel are three major points, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We, don't, we do not need to get caught up in some kind of specific formula or some huge, elaborate gospel presentation when we're trying to share with other people. We don't have to do that. Just pray to God for the opportunity and the wisdom to speak the truth as clearly and as accurately as you can, and then step out in faith and do it. You and I and everyone in this world are separated from God because of our sins. And the penalty for sin is eternal death. Because God is holy and just, he cannot just excuse sin. There must be a payment for it. And there is absolutely nothing that you and I can do, right, on our own for our sins. There's nothing that we can do to make payment for our sins. God knew this, and he loved us so much that he made a way when there was no other way. He made the just payment for our sins on our behalf. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to this earth to be born to a virgin named Mary. And then he lived a sinless life and fulfilled all of the just requirements of the law. He humbly and sacrificially laid down his life for you and for me, and he died on the cross for our sins. By dying on the cross, he paid the debt for our sins in full with his very own blood, which means you and I have forgiveness from our sins in him. He was then buried in a tomb, and after three days, he rose from the dead. Through his resurrection, he defeated death, hell, Satan for all time. If we believe the gospel, if we put our complete faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, by genuinely repenting of our sins, then we will be saved. We will be saved. Now, we need to be prepared that one of the most common things that you're going to have to combat in sharing the gospel is that many people feel like they're a good person. And because they don't do a lot of really bad stuff, they feel like because they're, you know, reasonably good, then they'll just go to heaven. You see, if you and I were good enough to go to heaven, then Jesus wouldn't have needed to die on the cross. His death on the cross confronts any pride that says we're good enough and deserve salvation. No, the truth is, we all deserve death. You see, the message of the cross is foolishness to the unsaved. It's why you and I need to pray that God opens the unsaved eyes, ears, and heart so that they can hear the truth. So we share the truth in love, and then we relieve the results up to God. You and I need to follow the model here that Paul gives in our text. First, we need to be praying and seeking for doors to be opened. And second, when the doors are opened, that we actually recognize it, and we step through them, 
and we speak as clearly as possible the truth of Jesus Christ to others. Now, Paul continues in our text by saying this in verse 5. Here we go. He says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Now, to be an effective witness for Christ, it involves two things, two main things, our walk and our talk. Now, our walk, how we live our life is a direct reflection of our witness for Jesus. To walk in wisdom toward those who are outside means we are living our lives according to the word of God. Paul has already shared in previous chapters what our lives in Christ should look like. And the bottom line is that Christ in us should manifest through us so people see the hope that we have. Our chief aim as Christ followers should be to reflect Jesus to others since we're being conformed into his image. If people see in our walk, if all they see is hypocrisy, greed, or anger, or immorality, or even rudeness, then we will not be an effective witness, no matter how good our talk is. Our walk has to be right in order for our talk to even be heard. Now, I've said this before. People need to see Jesus in you before they can hear Jesus from you. So a godly walk is the foundation for being an effective witness. Our walk should also be about us redeeming the time. In other words, we should always be making the most of every opportunity that God gives us. So when God opens a door, that means we need to step through it. We should be praying for, expecting for, and preparing for these doors to be opened. And when they are opened, we don't shy away from them. We step through them with boldness. We don't miss these opportunities because we're focused on redeeming the time. Now, after our walk, the next part of our witness is our talk. Paul says this in verse 6 of our text. He says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. The first thing Paul says about our talk is that it should be with grace. It's God's grace that makes salvation possible. We have to make sure that when we're sharing the gospel with others, that we make the point that it's by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Christ alone, right, that we are saved. Our works have nothing to do with this equation. It's Jesus plus nothing. And because of God's grace towards us, we need to make sure that our talk towards others, especially to non-Christians, is full of grace. Since we as Christ followers are all sinners who receive God's grace, we should not be speaking to others in a condescending or condemning manner. Instead, we should be speaking out of love, in humility, telling others that we're all sinners and we would all be on our way to hell if it weren't for God's grace. Now, the next thing Paul says about our talk is that it should be seasoned with salt. Salt in Paul's day had two main purposes. It was used as a preservative and it was used as a spice to add flavor. And as a preservative, salt helps to protect food from going bad. So this means our speech should be pure and without any corruption. It means that when we're talking to someone whose lives are spoiled by sin, that we share how they can be restored and preserved through the gospel. And as a spice, salt adds flavor to food. Now, have you ever tried to eat French fries or popcorn or eggs without salt? Who's tried to do that? Isn't that awful? It's like yuck. It's bland, it's boring, and it has no flavor, doesn't it? 
So our speech should be seasoned with salt, meaning it adds flavor. It should be interesting. Now remember, it says seasoned with salt. This doesn't mean that we dump the whole salt shaker on someone, does it? Seasoned with salt. I remember one time I was making eggs. I picked up that salt shaker and I was like, and the lid came off. (laughs) Who's had that happen? (laughs) The lid came off. All this salt came in there and my eggs were ruined. So the lesson here is, is that we want to make sure our speech is seasoned with salt. We don't try to overwhelm someone when we're talking to them. You don't want to try to take the whole Bible and cram it down their throat in a two-minute presentation. No, we season our speech. We give just enough to spark curiosity. And we've got to tailor our approach, too, because everyone is different. We don't try this cookie-crutter approach, right, where we mechanically recite everything, the Romans road, and then we just bleh. That's not how it works. Just speak it, man. You don't have to come up with this huge presentation. Speak it out of the overflow of your life. Just share the truth of Jesus in a kind, gentle, and loving manner and talk to them about what it's done in your own life. Your testimony. Share your testimony. What was your life like before Christ? And what has your life been like since? The key is that when we present the gospel to a non-Christian, it should cause them to want more. It should cause them to ask questions. And which leads us to the next thing that Paul says in our text. He says we ought to know how to answer each one. And this is very similar to what we see in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, where Peter says, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We should be bubbling over with that hope, right? Was that it? I got one amen on that. We should be bubbling over with hope, man. You've got the Lord Jesus Christ on the inside of you. It doesn't matter about anything else in life if you've got Him. Amen? Amen? Come on. (laughs) Because the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is absolutely amazing. It's beyond anything that we can ever fathom here on this earth. As Christ followers, we have the truth that can set people free. We have the truth that can offer forgiveness and reconciliation to an all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, and fully worthy of our trust, Father in heaven. Amen. We have the truth that can set people free. And with that kind of hope, with that kind of assurance, with that kind of grace, why wouldn't we be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks? That's the point that Paul's making here. We should be ready. Now, a few weeks ago, I was on a call with a colleague of mine, at work. Some of you know I'm bivocational, right? So I work in the secular world and here. And so this, this friend of mine, uh, his name's Doug. Doug, if you're going to listen to this message, it's about you, man. But um, I've been praying for him for a long time, that God would open his heart, open his mind to the truth of who God is. And so one day he asked me this question. I was like, oh, man, you just teed it up nice, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because it's hard sometimes in a secular environment to figure out how am I going to weave the gospel into this answer or this, into this conversation. And being in a secular you know, environment, I can't just say, hey, I'm a pastor. and just bleh. That doesn't work like that in a secular environment. So on this particular day when he, uh, when he shared this question with me, I thought to myself, oh, man, this is a perfect opportunity for me to weave the gospel into this conversation. And I wish I could tell you that the heavens opened. 
and the worship music started playing. And all of a sudden, he just miraculously gave his life to Christ. I wish I could say that's what happened. But it didn't. I don't know what happened in the spiritual realm on that day, but I do know this. I was faithful to weave the gospel into that conversation. And when I got off that phone, I was like, Woo-hoo! I just shared the gospel with my buddy Doug. I did it. It wasn't that hard. And he teed it up because he was curious. He had a question. And I was ready for it. It was a huge deal. I was so thankful that I didn't shy away from the question and answer it with some sort of watered-down answer. Because you know what? More often than not, more often than I care to admit, I've done that before. I've had questions or I've had an opportunity and I didn't step through it. I wasted it. And then I looked back and went, are you kidding me, God? You gave it to me on a silver platter and I missed it. But not on that day. You see, the results are not up to us. Our responsibility is to simply be faithful and do what God has called us to do. Now, a dear friend of mine shared a devotional with me a couple of days ago. And it really warmed my heart. And I want to share it with all of you today. So, Anita, if you're listening online, I want to tell you, sister, thank you for sharing this with me. She shared a devotional, and the words come from Catherine Coleman. And Catherine said this. She said, the Heavenly Father does not ask for golden vessels. He does not ask for silver vessels. God asks for yielded vessels. Those who will submit their will to the will of the Father. And the greatest human attainment in all the world is for a life to be so surrendered to him that the name of God Almighty will be glorified through that life. When I read that, I could feel the presence of God come over me. There is nothing more empowering, there is nothing more fulfilling than living a life sold out for Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that God doesn't ask for golden or silver vessels, or in my case, a tinfoil vessel. He doesn't ask for that. He asks for yielded vessels, those who will submit their very lives for his purposes. And as Christ followers, we don't do witnessing. We are witnesses. We are witnesses to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. 1 John 5, 11-12. Sound familiar for those of you that are in discipleship? Come on. So the real questions to you and I that we need to answer are this. What kind of witness are we for Jesus Christ? And are we redeeming the time? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth. We thank you for the hope that we carry around inside of us every day as Christ followers. Lord God, help us not to miss the opportunities that you put in front of us. Jesus, help us to look for those doors that you open. And when they are opened, Help us, Father, to have the boldness and the courage to step through them and to speak as truly and as accurately as we can about the hope that we have in us. Help us to be prepared to always give an answer when someone asks and that we can season our speech and that our walk will match our talk. And so we just ask Jesus that you'd help us to live this out. And so I want to pray right now for someone who may be here and is just struggling with what is the purpose of life? And if I died tomorrow, where would I go? Am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? Is there even a heaven or is there a hell? Maybe that's you and you're struggling today. And you want to finally commit yourself to Jesus. 
because you recognize he is the Lord and Savior. There is no other. And if that's you and you want to meet Jesus today and you want to form that relationship, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Every head's bowed, every eye is closed. I'm not going to call you up front. I'm not going to call you out. But if you'll just slip your hand up, if I know that's you, I want to pray for you. Anyone want to meet Jesus today and make that relationship that will bring hope forever, that will seal your fate, that you'll spend eternity in heaven with Jesus? Anyone today? All right, others of you may be here and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I've missed some opportunities, but I don't want to miss them anymore. And I want to slip my hand up because I recognize that I want to faithfully carry out the faith that God's given me. That's you. Put your hand up. I'll pray for you. A lot of hands. Father, I pray, Jesus. Thank you for what we have in you. Thank you so much, Father. Let our lives be a testimony to you. And give us the courage to be filled with your spirit, to share it with all those around us. Lord God, we know that we have the opportunity to snatch people from the fires of hell by the words that we share. It's not by our strength, it's by your power through the Holy Spirit. But let us be the vessels that you use to reach people. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you're here today and you'd like some prayer, you've got things on your mind or just want people to pray with you, I encourage you to come forward. I'll be here to pray. There'll be others of us up here that can pray. Take advantage of that. Don't forget, there are a lot of goodies in that room. To my right, your left, feel free to partake of those. Thank you, guys. God bless you, and have a great day.